Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Okay, everybody, I think we're ready to get started. On December 30th, 2022, the community center in the town of Superior was crowded with people. The town was hosting a big breakfast on the one-year anniversary of the Marshall Fire. Almost 300 people showed up. After breakfast, Jen Cowish, co-director of the local grassroots group Superior Rising, stood on a small stage at the front of the room to gather everyone's attention. A couple months ago, we, we had this idea that it would be really wonderful to hear from our residents. It just kind of formed naturally that we would be gathering today and it made a lot of sense that there would be folks that would have some things they wanted to say today. When I first met Jen, she said she felt it was important to give people a space on the anniversary to share what they had experienced in the year since the fire. People moved toward the stage, turned their chairs, ready to listen and to share. I'm really grateful that you're here. I'm really hopeful that you hear some things today that make you feel a little less crazy, a little more normal, and that we're all going through this together. This is my story so far. A storytelling podcast that brings you voices from the hidden corners of Colorado. I'm your host, Luis Antonio Perez. You may have heard our last episode with stories about the Marshall Fire. There were so many stories from this community that we decided to bring you a second episode. Today, we'll learn how the fire changed the perspectives of two people in this community and the way they see things, like a neighborhood running route, the local target, or a person they haven't hugged in years. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Superior Rising, for inviting us as guests here. It's really an honor for us to just be here and be supportive of this event on this important anniversary. I knew the anniversary would be a difficult and emotional day for folks. Jen hoped that being together and sharing stories would feel cathartic, especially on this day. It was clear to me that this community had formed deeper bonds since the fire. I heard from people about how the Marshall Fire changed their relationships with their family, their neighbors, with strangers who had since become close friends. For our first storyteller, Paul Paiva, one particular relationship in his life went through a transformation in the year after the fire. For Paul, it was a change he never expected. Hi, everyone. I was vacationing in Costa Rica with my then 11-year-old daughter last year on this day. That Thursday afternoon, I received many texts and phone calls from friends back home, alerting me of the status of the disaster in progress. I was not too concerned that my home would be affected because it was located in a big clearing in the space behind Home Depot. I slept that evening with faith in God and faith in the obvious clearing that the house would absolutely not burn. In the morning, I received a call from my neighbor. My phone was on speaker, 
So my daughter heard everything. We were told that the house burnt to a crisp with absolutely nothing remaining. My daughter started sobbing and left in a hurry to text and call her friends from our neighborhood. When I heard the news, I didn't cry or react, but went into a haze. Back home, I happened to enjoy collecting and displaying about a dozen Salvador Dali prints. It was now as if I was a figure in one of those surrealistic paintings that used to hang on the walls of my living room. We were scheduled to return from our vacation the next day. Finally, we were on the plane coming home. It, I was fine. I chatted normally with a lady next to me. She asked if my home is Denver, and I said, yes. A couple of hours into the flight, she finished reading her novel and explained that she likes to trade books with people on planes. She asked if I wanted her book. I said, sure. I stared for a full minute at the book placed in my hands. I didn't even open it. I turned and said to her in a quiet and regulated voice, Thank you, this is the only book I own. I thought of my five tall bookcases of volumes I had accumulated lovingly and treasured over the span of my life. Novels, self-help, spirituality, undergrad, and my most favorite graduate study textbooks that I still use fondly in my work. I thought of the sheaves and sheaves of notes I had handwritten for three books I was in the middle of authoring. All of this is now gone. We landed in Denver and I grabbed my overhead luggage so we can start our journey back home. My ex-spouse happens to work at the airport. My daughter was texting away and she tells me, Mom is working right now and plans to meet us in three minutes. My former spouse and I regrettably had a difficult divorce, replete with court battles and attorney fees, as well as eight subsequent years of turbulent and traumatic co-parenting. When the kids had a birthday, we had two parties in two separate homes to ensure zero interaction between parents. My 11-year-old daughter was age one when we divorced. Sure enough, after a minute of walking, we met her mother in the middle of the B concourse. I let mother and daughter exchange a hug. I was about to continue our journey homeward when my former spouse said to me, Paul, I am so sorry about your house. She looked into my eyes kindly for the first time since I had heard the news about a day earlier, it hit me. I started bawling like a baby. My ex-spouse hugged me, a long, tight, beautifully genuine, caring hug. After a bit, I stopped bawling and I let her go. Then I started up again and she hugged me again. That happened three times. 
Then my daughter and I continued our journey walking down Concourse B. As we walked, I felt euphoric. My eyes were still damp with tears of grief and despair from a few moments ago, but I felt a joy that was calming, radiating into me, giving peace to my soul. You see, folks, I realized that my daughter just witnessed her mom and dad hug for the first time in her life. I knew that the intimate connection I had with her 10 years ago, which had long vanished, had returned in a curious yet real way. I knew there would be no longer any court battles nor attorney fees. I could not prove it, but I knew in my heart that neither of us would consider lifting a sword of accusation ever again. In the past year, amid this grieving and loss of our possessions in the fire, I have also basked in a peace that I didn't know would ever be possible for my children and myself. What I have learned this past year is that it no longer matters to me what my house looks like, whether it's an apartment or a condo, rented or owned, tiny, medium or spacious, permanent or temporary, or if the kitchen counters are premium granite slabs or cheap peeling linoleum. The fire has given me resolve, a ferocious thirst for prioritizing my life and my children's lives. I no longer have projects that I was going to embark upon in 10, five, or two years. All of my life's projects have now begun. What is important is not my house, rather, am I doing my life mission on this planet? Am I living with love and intention? My children and I cataloged the questions we had been asked these past months into what we liked and disliked. Here's the questions we disliked. Do you have insurance? Number one hated question because it's dismissive of loss, regardless of the answer. As if money can replace our precious treasures, like my children's artwork, the locks of my daughter's hair from birth, and her first haircut at age one, and her baby teeth, which she hid under her pillow, which I carefully saved. Number two, are you rebuilding? Did you file with FEMA as yet? Any questions having to do with money? Where do you live now? Here's the questions we liked. I'm so sorry for your loss. I cannot imagine. What are you doing this summer? Our two most favorite questions, which no one asked, but which we empower our friends to ask us are, what do you miss from your old house? And how have you changed? Thanks, folks.
Paul's story and how his outlook on life changed since the fire really struck me. His story reminded me of how sometimes a tragedy can remind us of what's important and bring us closer to the people who matter most. After the break, you'll hear a story about change and experiencing it in the little things that most of us take for granted. Hi, I'm Rebecca Romberg. I help make this podcast and lots of other shows at Colorado Public Radio. I hope you're enjoying my story so far. And if you're thinking about what to listen to next, we've got some suggestions. Terra Firma explores the great outdoors. Robin's song is the sound my great-grandmothers and their great-grandmothers knew. Systemic introduces you to people working to challenge the status quo in public schools. When I think of equity, it's that all of my students get what they need. Parched tells the story of the Colorado River and how we might save it. People think that there are crazy ideas, but it's not so crazy whenever you're looking at your water faucet being turned off. Find these shows in your favorite podcast app or visit CPR.org slash podcasts. I have one more story about the Marshall Fire to share with you. This one was told at our event in Louisville. When I met Missy Petty, she told me about how disorienting it was to lose her routine, to have the small things that were part of her everyday life suddenly change. Uh, My name is Missy, and I'm so grateful to have been here tonight and hear these stories and be part of this. And it's an honor to be up here tonight. Our situation was a little bit unique in that we were kind of an in-betweener. We were a partial burn. So um, the neighborhoods on two sides of us completely burned pretty much. And our house caught on fire. One side of the house burned and um, burned a hole through the wall. When I first saw photos of it, there was this hole. And I was like, oh, you know, we just patched the hole and we're good. And uh, when we started going in the house, you know, we realized that that just wasn't the case. Everything was covered in soot. It had gotten really hot in there. And so our shutters, we had these vinyl shutters inside that melted. And so like those first couple of days just were kind of a black, dark, cloudy haze to me. And so, you know, there's the initial grief where you you don't know where you're going to go and you've lost so much. But there's also, there was that loss that affected the entire community and that disconnection or disorientation where everybody around us had to kind of disperse and like what happened to that community. And I, you know, I remember experiencing that loss, particularly, I think, in the loss of routine, you know, your, your routine is just gone. There were two prevailing things that have kind of evolved through this past year that are part of my routine that kind of represent how we've been adapting. And one of them is running. Before the fire, I ran three or four times a week. I had the same route, same time of day. I would see the same people run past my neighbor's houses and waved to my neighbors and and suddenly that was gone 
And I, you know, I lost that big part of my routine and the way to, to, to connect to the community. Um, the other aspect is, is kind of silly, but it's Target. So I know that, you know, pretty much everybody in this room probably goes to the Superior Target on a routine basis, and you know where everything is, and you go and you like, you know, restock on your stuff, and you know your route through Target, you got it all planned. When we evacuated, we evacuated to Boulder. The next day, we were in the Boulder Target trying to kind of restock on basic things that we hadn't taken with us, and we couldn't find anything. And it was so frustrating and very disorienting. And I just remember a friend of mine and a coworker calling me, and I'm in the health and beauty section. Just I just want to find my face lotion. And she says, are you okay? And I am, like, frustrated because I can't find anything. We're starting to figure out just how much we've lost, even though it's still there. And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. And I just started crying in the middle of the store. And I just remember that so vividly, that feeling of disorientation in a place that you should know. Shortly after that, we moved out of Boulder and temporarily moved into downtown Louisville in an Airbnb. And I felt compelled that I had to go out on a run just to kind of reconnect in some way. And so I didn't have my winter running stuff. I had my running shoes, so I, I layered up in random stuff, and I went out on a run around Community Park. There was still snow on the ground from the offensive snow that came 20, less than 24 hours after the fire, and I'm running around Community Park, and there are people out there in the morning probably trying to do the same thing I was doing, and everybody looked so sad you could just tell that we were all hurting. And I, first time ever, was running and crying. It was sad, but it was so good to be able to share that with people that you knew had been affected and were hurting in some way from this. And so it was healing at the same time. We stayed in downtown Louisville a couple of days, and then we found a more long-term solution in Broomfield. And we began kind of trying to rebuild our our home, you know, our feel of home. And so, of course, we need to go to Target. We started going to the Westminster Target. And that was weird at first. I mean, it was a different layout. It wasn't the Superior Target. And you're going in and buying, like, basic stuff you haven't bought in 20 years, like spatulas and potholders. Over the next month or two, we got familiar with that Target and, you know, started kind of restocking on our basic things. And then in the March time frame, we were actually able to find a place in downtown Louisville. And all this time, you know, we are going back to our house on a regular basis. Um, we had to rip everything down to the studs and basically toss everything that was in there. We were able to see in the spring as the debris cleanup started and the grass started growing. And I don't know if you guys remember that, but I... I was actually pretty offended that it dared to grow initially. That was my first reaction. Like, how, you know, I'm, this is sacred ground here. I'm not ready for this. That was my first reaction. And then I, I saw it as defiance, that it was growing in spite of what had happened. And, you know, it was going to pursue. And so I, I found comfort in that. 
And, you know, as we settled into downtown Louisville, which we were hoping was the last move that we had before we moved back home, I established a new running route, which, you know, was a familiar area, but it was different from my original one. But it was comforting in that I was still able to run past friends' houses like the Bradleys and the Holmbergs, and I would see Krista walking her dog. And so, you know, I made new connections, but in a familiar place. And then in the fall, our superior target opened. And uh, with great joy, we went back to our superior target. It was the second time I cried in target. Uh, This time it was tears of happiness. But again, you know, it was our target, but it was different. You know, they had changed the layout a little bit and they had to remodel. And so even though it was in the same location, we still had to kind of get used to it. At the same time, when we're, we're starting to rebuild our interior and rebuild the side of our house and our neighbors to the sides of us, are, are, their structures are starting to go up. And I ran into my neighbor sometime in the fall, and he said, you know, I'll apologize in advance for the construction noise. And I was like, don't apologize for that. That is music to my ears. I'm excited to say that we are moving back into our house next week, which is very exciting. And so we're excited to be back home, but it's going to be very different. You know, I'll have my running route, but it'll look very different. We've all probably gone out and created a new community in some way. And we're all looking forward to getting back, whatever that looks like. And it'll be this familiar, but different. But I think it'll be bigger because we're bringing new experiences and new connections back with us. And I think it'll be stronger. Thank you for listening to my story. Thank you to Paul and Missy for sharing their stories. And thank you to everyone who shared their personal stories with us. This was our second episode of Stories about the Marshall Fire. If you missed our last episode, go back and listen to hear three more stories from this community. Thanks to Jen Cowish at Superior Rising, Raina Pomeroy at Marshall Together, and Cheryl Gordon with Unincorporated Boulder County for helping us connect with storytellers. Thanks also to Marshall Rock and Mental Health Partners for coming to our event in Louisville to share what they've been doing to help this community. And thanks to the Louisville Underground for hosting this event. Next time, we'll bring you more stories from another community in Colorado. My Story So Far is a show that collects first-person stories from hidden communities across Colorado. If your community has stories to share, let us know. Find us at cpr.org slash community audio. This show is produced by me and Emily Williams. Our editor is Joe Erickson. You can find a list of everyone who works on this podcast in the show notes. For Colorado Public Radio, I'm Luis Antonio Perez. Hi, my name's Emily Williams. I'm a producer on My Story So Far and part of a big team that helps make the podcast. A lot of the stories you hear in this show are people sharing their experiences on stage for the first time ever. If you want more people to hear this unique podcast built around first-person stories from communities around Colorado, you can help us out right now. 
please rate the show on your favorite podcast app or write a review. It helps other people discover my story so far. Thanks for listening and supporting podcasts from Colorado Public Radio.